Amen. Thank you, Lacey. I, I didn't give her a lot of time. I actually asked her, I think it was on Tuesday, I texted her, will you sing this song for me? And within a half a second, she said, done. She would do it for me. So thank you, Lacey. Excellent job. As you know, we're in our series, a healthy Christian, uh, a portrait of a healthy Christian. And what does it mean to be a healthy Christian? And we've been talking about some of the marks of being a healthy Christian. And over the last several weeks, we've been talking about prayer. Because if any of us truly want to be a healthy Christian, prayer, our prayer life is a big part of that, right? And, and so we need, and I have been over a year, been praying about preaching a whole series on prayer. And I thought, well, I'll just kind of incorporate it into being a healthy Christian because without prayer, there's no way we could be healthy in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so prayer is an important part of that. Uh, as I was studying for this week, I, I, I heard of two guys. They were actually sitting in their man cave. I don't have a man cave. It's Connie's house and I get maybe about half of the garage, but she gets everything else. I don't know how it is at your home, but maybe you have a man cave and they're in their man cave watching the football game. And when halftime came around, as they were talking about the things of the game and what have you, for whatever reason, their discussion got onto religion. And they talked about God, they talked about going to church, they talked about the Bible, and then their, their conversation kind of steered towards prayer. And as they were talking about prayer, the, the one guy said to the other, he says, you know, every single evening before I go to bed, I pray the Lord's prayer. I mean, every night without fail, I pray the Lord's prayer every single night. And the, the other guy said, well, that's great. Uh, I pray the Lord's prayer from time to time. And he goes, I, the first guy, you don't even know the Lord. I, I'll bet you 20 bucks that you can't even recite the Lord's prayer word for word. And he goes, I'll take that bet. I'll show you. And so he <clears throat> clears his voice and he says, let's pray. And he goes, lay me, uh, he says, um, um, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And the first guy goes, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. What are you? And he reaches in his pocket and he hands him a $20 bill. And he goes, I didn't know you knew the Lord's prayer. We have maybe some crazy ideas about prayer and the Lord's Prayer in particular, and in our series, A Portrait of a Healthy Christian, we've talked about that we, how we should continue in prayer. We talked about how we should be bold in prayer. We talked about how we should be persistent in prayer. We talked about how we should be humble in our prayer. But one of the things as, as we go through our Christian life, we, we know how to pray and we probably read books on how to pray, but do you know the reason why we pray? And so this morning we're going to look at the reason why we pray. You know, all of us I think would like for our prayer lives to grow. Uh, I think deep down inside of us, every person, every believer in Jesus Christ wants a more intimate relationship with him. And prayer is one of the ways that we get that more intimate relationship. And so we buy books on how to pray and we watch uh, videos on how to pray and we listen to sermons on how to pray. But how often do we talk about the why of prayer? Do you know why you pray? See, our prayers are not just throwing up all of our quests and, and petitions to God, but what is the reason why? 
What's behind it all? Why do we pray? And I think that answer is found in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, the, and, and if you go over to, to Luke's gospel, the, the disciples say, hey, God teaches, Jesus teaches how to pray. So Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 9 it says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we open your word this morning, I pray God that, that you would give us the why we pray. Not necessarily how to, but why? Why do we come before the King of Kings and lay out our burdens and our cares and our worries and our wants? What's the reason? And I pray, Father, as we walk away this morning, we will know the why of prayer. In Jesus we pray, amen. Now, can you imagine these disciples have walked with Jesus for a couple of years now? And they've seen him do a lot of awesome things, some incredible things. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him turn uh, water into wine. They've, they, they know that there's something special about Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, they ask him to teach them something. They said, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now, if it was me and I had that opportunity and I was sitting across the table from Jesus and I've got to see Jesus do some of the things that Jesus has done, can I tell you, I wouldn't say, Lord, teach me to pray. I probably wouldn't be on my first, that wouldn't be one of the first things, maybe at all, any of the things that I would ask Jesus to teach me. Can I tell you what I would ask Jesus to, to, to teach me? Hey, Jesus, teach me how to turn water into wine. Right? Now listen, if I can take water and turn it into Coke Zero, that's something special there, right? And, and I, that's what I would do. Or even better yet, hey Jesus, teach me how to take a few fish and some crackers and turn it into a meal for 15 or 20,000 people. Now that would be awesome. You just think about the gas prices and just go to Brookshire's and try to buy something to eat. It's expensive to live anymore, right? And if I could turn a few sardines and a couple of crackers into a feast for my family, wouldn't that be awesome. You know, if I were to ask Jesus to teach me something, more than likely it'd be probably be selfish stuff. You know, I was thinking about it, and if I was going to ask Jesus to teach me how to, maybe I'd ask him to teach me how to walk on water. Now, it'd be cool. As you know, I like to fish, and wouldn't it be cool if I wanted to, that I wouldn't even need a boat, and I could just walk on water and just go fish anywhere I want. I'd never lose a lure again because I could just walk over anywhere it is and get my lure back. See, if it was me and I was asking Jesus to teach me something, it would be for myself. It would be selfish. It would be for my own good. Maybe put money in the bank. But not these 12 followers. I've often wondered, though, why, why did they ask Jesus to teach them to pray? Can I tell you the reason, I think? It's because they watched Jesus pray. Can you imagine watching Jesus have a conversation with his Heavenly Father? 
And these 12 disciples and others have got, they got to see that face to face. They eyewitnessed Jesus in his prayer life, his incredible prayer life. You see, Jesus' prayer life wasn't one where he just came into the church house and prayed. His prayer life wasn't that he just prayed before the meal. No, Jesus' prayer life is all the time. You look at scripture and it says that Jesus prayed morning, noon, and night. It says that he prayed before he healed someone, that he prayed after he healed someone. It says that he prayed uh, when he was alone, that he prayed in public. He prayed before important decisions. He prayed for the will of God. And many other times we see what scripture has said about Jesus and his prayer life. He prayed and these 12 disciples got to see him pray. And while most of Jesus's prayers are not recorded for us, did you realize? I mean, Jesus prayed all the time and we only have a handful and only three of the, the uh, prayers that we find in all of scripture or three times in all of scripture does do we see jesus telling us what to how to pray in all three times you know what he says thy will be done and not mine that's the why that's why we pray when jesus taught his disciples to pray he said pray your will not mine no one understands better than God how difficult it can be for a human to embrace the will of God. And no human has suffered more in embracing the will of God the Father than God the Son. Just think about what Jesus endured because of the will of God. I mean, you just look at him there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he is three times he's praying, not my will, but yours, God. If there's any other way, I'll want that way, but not my will, your will, God. He prayed so intensely that he literally sweat blood drops. He endured the cross because he was willing to do the will of his father. And when Jesus calls us to follow him, whatever the cost, he is not calling us to do something that he wasn't willing to do. He is not calling us to do something that he hasn't already done. He is our example. He is our model. This is why we look to Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith, as the book of Hebrews tells us. That he is our great high priest who understands far better than we do what it's like to willingly and faithfully endure the sometimes painful will of God for the sake of the kingdom of God. Yes, Jesus knows. So when Jesus tells us to pray like this, thy will be done, he knows exactly what he's talking about, doesn't he? And praying the will of God is the why for all of our prayers. No matter what we pray, no matter what we're petitioning, what, no matter what we're asking for, no matter what our supplication is, it, it's the why is the reason. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and when Jesus gave them this model prayer, he included that phrase, your will be done. And these are not magic words. They're, they are clarifying words. Praying for God's will to be done means that we subjugate our will to his. That we put his wants, his desires, his needs above ours. Whatever the cost. 
praying for God's will means that we follow his plan instead of our own plan. And Jesus, again, is our best example. In John chapter 5, it says, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then if you turn over to John chapter 4, I love when Jesus says this. In John chapter 4, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Have you ever thought about that verse? Hey kids, y'all hush or I'm going to have Carrie come sit by you. Thank you. You know what? Have you ever thought about those words that my food is the will of doing the will of God. Have you thought? Now, listen. In the first service, we showed the baptisms from last week that y'all got to see in person, right? And, and as I watched that video, and I, in that white robe, I'm a little more rotund than I think I am sometimes. Can I just be honest with you? They say the camera puts on 10 pounds. No, I think it's putting on 50. I'm trying to suck it in right now. As you can tell, I like to eat, right? And when I eat, I like to eat good stuff. I like to eat double meat cheeseburgers. I don't know about you, but I don't want none of that healthy, nutritious stuff. Now, Connie, on the other hand, she, she's been eating right. And she, you can see, nutritious meals. Not me. See, when my, when my belly growls, it's time to eat. When the clock strikes you know, noon or six or whatever, whether I'm hungry or not, guess what? It's time to eat, yes? And I eat, and I love to eat. And we think about Jesus. Just like eating food, carrying out God's plan was a life-sustaining activity for Jesus. The food that we eat, we eat it not just because it tastes good, but it, it, it gives us life, energy, and that's exactly what Jesus says about God's will. Is that it gives me life, it gives me energy, it's what I want to do. Uh, Jesus felt like the hunger pains that we feel, a continual inner need to do God's will. And just like food, an ongoing satisfaction in doing the work God had given him to do. Boy, if we could get like that. If we had a hunger to do God's will King David also felt this way. He writes, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. When's the last time you said that to God? Oh God, I delight to do your will. Whatever it is. Do you delight to do God's will? If so, then your prayer life will reflect that, right? How... How Jesus taught the disciples to pray was exactly the opposite of what the norm was for that day, and, and many times even in our day. You remember our parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Pharisee goes up on stage. He's getting in front of everybody. He wants to raise his hands. He prays loudly. He prays proudly. He wants everybody to see him pray, right? I mean, he wants everybody to know what's going on. Look at me. Look how good I am. Look at me. I pray out loud. And there's nothing wrong with praying out loud. But notice what Jesus says in verse 5. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, and they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, there's a couple of things that step, you know, that they kind of jump out to me. One is, is when you pray. Jesus expects us to pray. Number two is this word hypocrite right here. This word hypocrite means play actor. It means to play a part, just like an actor plays on stage or on the screen. Uh, and, and, and Jesus is not saying, he is not uh, saying you shouldn't pay and pray in public. What he is saying is it's right and it's good to pray in public, but only if you are first praying in your own closet. Because your prayer is to God alone and no one else. You see, we're not supposed to be like this little grandson. He he and his sister are staying at their grandparents' house uh, the week before Christmas. And grandma's in there and she tucks the little boy in, the little girl in. And then she she turns off the light. She says, good night, honey. Don't forget to say your prayers. And immediately the boy begins to, dear Jesus... Thank you for grandma and grandpa. Dear Jesus, I need a new BB gun and a bicycle. Amen. His sister goes, what are you doing? You don't have to yell at God. He goes, I know, but grandma is deaf. You see, he was not praying to the heavenly father. He was praying to his grandma. And we too only should be praying to our heavenly father. We come to God alone for the answers to our prayers and no one else. And that is one, another one of the reasons why we pray. We pray, Father, I trust your ways are best. No matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on, no matter that tragedy in your life, we pray, Father, I know you know what's best, period. And how often do we come to God with our requests and our petitions? And in the same breath that we ask for something, we tell him how to do it. Or we give, give him suggestions how to fix it. See, we need to come to him and say, your ways are, and when we pray, your will be done. We're acknowledging that our heart is deceitful and selfish, yes? And when we pray, your will be done, we trust that he knows best. Think about it this way. Maybe you've prayed. I can remember when I was a teenager, you know, you you want that first car and you pray for that brand new car. I bet some of you have prayed for a brand new car, right? And I bet uh, you've probably prayed for that brand new job at times. Yes. You know, you want this job at this company for this salary, you know, you pray, or let me tell you, if you're a parent in this room, I can guarantee you've prayed this prayer. You have prayed the prayer that, that, uh, God would protect your child for ever having a broken heart. Haven't you prayed that prayer parents? Yeah, we have, haven't we? And then we pray for that prayer. And instead of getting that new car, we get the hoopty. Do y'all know what a hoopty is, right? You know, the old beater. Yeah, it's 20 years old. You, you, you have to, you know, go out and do something just to make it start. Or, or you pray for that new job. And instead of getting that new job, someone else gets it. 
And when we pray for that new car and we get the hoopty, we are, all we do is we turn around and wreck it two weeks later. Or we pray for that new job at that perfect company only to realize six months later it's, it's gone out of business and it's bankrupt. Or we pray to God, oh God, please never allow my child's heart to break. And then her heart breaks and it only brings her back to him. See, that is trusting that our Father knows what is best. Praying your will be done means we trust our Father in heaven to not only know, but to always do what is best. And that brings us to number two, another reason why. We want the heart of God, do we not? We want the heart of the Father. Look in verse seven. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. See, Jesus is telling us, hey, listen, don't try to impress other people with your prayers. When we have the heart of God in our prayers, see, we don't need big or fancy or numerous words. None of that is needed. Scripture says that there were times when Jesus prayed all night long. Did you know that? Now, wouldn't it be of love to sit on the rock next to Jesus and listen to his prayers? That'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? And Jesus prayed all night long, Scripture says. And did you know that not one of those prayers are recorded in the Bible? Now, to me... If prayer is so important and, and big, long prayers are so important, wouldn't you think that Jesus or God would have added one of those all-night prayer sessions in the Bible, but he doesn't? And if you know anything about Jesus in his prayer life, you see Jesus pray throughout the Gospels, and none of them are more than a few sentences long. And the longest prayer recorded in Scripture is John chapter 17. I read John 17 several times this week, and each time I read it, you know what my average time to read all of John chapter 17? Jesus' prayer, he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, he prays for us. And you know how long it took me? Three minutes and 12 seconds on average. So the longest prayer that we have recorded of our Lord and Savior in Scripture is three minutes and 12 seconds long. Not these big fancy words. He doesn't say the same thing over and over and over again. Don't you love it? I, I'm not going to, I'm going to go there. What the heck? Why not? Don't you love it when they pray lead, guide, and direct? And they all, those three words mean the exact same thing. And that's what Jesus, listen, he says there's no empty phrases, not using the same words over and over again. What does he mean by empty phrases? Think about that for just a minute. How many of you, now you're going to have to participate with me for a minute. How many of you know the Lord's Prayer by heart? Raise your hand if you can say the, I'm not going to ask you to, and don't say now I lay me down to sleep, okay? If you know the Lord's Prayer by heart, you can raise your hand, okay? That's most of us in this room. And, and I would imagine if I ask you to, you could probably stand and recite the Lord's Prayer. And I, I've used this as an example. Every Friday night in high school, we prayed the Lord's Prayer. 
It's the most famous prayer in the world, is it not? It's prayed at all times. It's prayed at funerals. It's prayed at weddings. It's prayed at church services. It's, it's prayed over and over again. I would imagine the Lord's Prayer is probably the most famous scripture and the most memorized verses in all of the world. And when we recite the Lord's Prayer and we just recite it without thinking, without uh, uh, contemplating on each of those words, you know what? Even God's Word, even the Lord's Prayer can become empty phrases because we just say them out of memory. We don't think about them. So even Jesus' own words can become empty words that he told us to avoid. But if we pray with God's heart, every word will have a purpose. The third why this morning is in verse 10. Look in verse 10. The reason, the why we pray is for his kingdom to come. Verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do you think of when you hear your kingdom come? I can tell you what most people think. Well, they think, well, that Jesus is going to come back, right? Your kingdom come, Jesus, second coming, and then, oh boy, hallelujah, there's going to be this great battle, and then his kingdom's going to come, and there's going to be this great kingdom of God on this earth. It's going to be wonderful and, 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 and fantastic. But until then, the kingdom that we live in now is Satan, and we are his puppets, so to speak. And that's what many people think. Well, right now, it's Satan's world. It's his kingdom and he is the ruler of all of this even you know even the jews that were listening to this they were thinking okay satan's in charge and this is god's kingdom is a coming though just look out god's kingdom is a that's what the jews kept saying the messiah is coming the messiah is coming the messiah is coming and little did little did they realize that the messiah was in their midst he was there the kingdom had come he is the kingdom. So the kingdom is twofold. For the Jews, you can go all the way back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, and God tells David, he says, listen, I am going to make a great kingdom from your descendants. There's going to be someone on the throne, and he will be the king of kings, and he's going to come from your descendant. This kingdom will be a visible earthly kingdom with a government. And it happened, didn't it? For many, many years, for centuries, there was this kingdom. But you know what happened to this kingdom, this physical kingdom? The thing called sin happened. And this sin, every time the king and the kingdoms in this, the people would sin against God and God would have to, well, he'd have to punish them. He would have to, to, to show them his righteousness. And so what did he do? He allowed other kings and kingdoms to come in. Babylon and Persia, and you can think of all of the different ones. And so when we get to Jesus' time, the Jews now, I mean, they're scattered. <laughs> they, they, they don't have a real kingdom. They're, they're under Roman control. But wait till the Messiah comes. We're going to have a real physical kingdom again. And little did they know that he is there in their midst. So the kingdom is twofold. 
It's a spiritual kingdom that is here and now. It's a spiritual kingdom where we, we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what are we to do in that spiritual kingdom is to do his will. And that will is to lead other people to Christ, to, to bring people into his knowledge. You see, the first kingdom came at his in, uh, incarnation. Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for your sin and mine. That was the first stage. That was the first part. The second is he's coming again. He will return and he will set up that physical government once more. And he is not here just to set up. He will be here to conquer. He will be here to judge. He will be here to rule. He will be here to reign. Oh, I can't wait for that day. So the kingdom of God is both spiritual and physical. John the Baptist said, you remember what he said? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why did he say that? Because he saw the son of man. He saw the Messiah. He saw the king of kings. He saw Jesus coming to the water. Oh, come and it's time to repent because the kingdom is at hand. And Jesus himself said, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst of you. He's talking about himself. So there are two stages to the kingdom, a spiritual stage that was inaugurated by Jesus' first coming and a physical stage which will be established by his second coming. But most people at that time or even today don't recognize that before the kingdom comes physically, it's already here spiritually. So the kingdom is already, but not yet, yes? And when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying not, uh, we're praying already, but not yet. Your kingdom come, God, let's make disciples. Your kingdom come, let's grow the church. God, your kingdom come, bring revival to our land. But God, when we pray your kingdom come, we pray Jesus, you know what John said? Come, Lord Jesus, come. That's what it means to pray, your kingdom come. So how do we do that? How do we really pray for God's kingdom to come? The first thing that we must do is your will be done, right? Your will be done, not mine, not yours, not anybody else, but your will, God, and no one else's. His will is for us to complete the mission that Jesus gave us. Isn't that his mission? Isn't that what his will is? You think about those last moments of Jesus's life here on this earth. And you can look at the end of every gospel in Matthew 28 uh, verses 19 and 20, for instance. Jesus said, uh, you know, I, I've sent you to, to uh, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Lo, teach them everything because I'm going to be with you for the ends of the earth. This was at the end of his life. This is, this, is, this is after his death, burial, and resurrection, isn't it? This is what he tells us to do. And then if you jump over to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what did he say? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you know what you're going to do with that power? You're going to be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and all over the world. 
That's what you're going to do. That's what his will is. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to ask the question, God, what is your will? He has showed it to us. He says, go and build the church. Make disciples. Teach people what it means to love Jesus. That's what it is. That is his will. And second, when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying for growth and maturity in all believers. We're praying for growth and maturity in those who join the kingdom as new disciples and we see for ourselves growth and maturity in our own lives. How's your spiritual life going? Are you growing into the image of Jesus? See, as we pray, your will be done. You know, just like Jesus prayed, my will, your will be done, not mine. We become spiritually mature. We become more like Jesus. And to become more like Jesus means we are living and loving the way that he did. And guess what? It means that our food, his food becomes our food. And it's no longer about the double cheeseburgers, but doing the will of God. What would happen, Hollybrook Baptist Church, if every person within the sound of my voice sitting here or online for just one week said, God, I will be just like Jesus and I will be totally obedient to your will on everything that you tell me to do? What would happen? Can I tell you that we wouldn't be able to hold everybody in this room because people would flood this place. Can I tell you if each and every person in this room today and in the first service and those listening online, if we were totally and completely obedient like Jesus was obedient, God would change Wood County. Do you know it? What would happen when our heart beats as Jesus' heart beats? We want to pray your will be done. And nothing more and nothing less. But your will be done. Let's pray together. Father, we pray your will be done. And God, let it begin in my heart. Not in somebody else's, but in mine. And as we, as a church, pray your will be done. We want nothing more and nothing less. We just want to see you glorified. We want to see you move. We want to see what you really want to do here in our church and in our county and in our community. Oh God, we want to see. Father, maybe there's someone here this morning that they need to trust in Jesus or maybe right where they're sitting they just need to commit to doing your will in their prayer life and in their everyday walk with you or maybe God someone needs to come and join the church this morning whatever it is Father we give this time to you now with every head bowed and every eye closed I want everyone no one looking around we're going to sing a cappella, a cappella, not a cappella, a cappella. We're going to we're we're going to sing just the chorus.